never trust the mystery meat. Hello and welcome to episode 113 of Grumpy Old Benz for Monday, November 23rd, 2020. I am Darren O'Neill coming to you live from a bunker deep in the heart of middle America, just outside of Chirac, where the weather is nice and I don't have any gastric distress. And from America's left coast, where there is a special level of hell for people who play Christmas music before Thanksgiving. I'm Ryan Bemrose. Oh, it's the Pogues. The Pogues are not normal Christmas music. The BBC hates them, so everybody should love them. Yeah, nobody likes the BBC. I know. I mean, the funny thing is that this song that I was playing before the show, The Pogues Fairy Tale of New York, has been every year for as long as I can remember in the UK. Every year they have a poll like your favorite Christmas music. Every year that is voted the number one Christmas song. And now the BBC says that the lyrics are offensive and they will no longer play it i I just want you to know that i don't necessarily object to the existence of the song or even its playing but let us get through thanksgiving first you may not make it through thanksgiving i mean you may not i didn't think you were making it to the show today what did you eat i I, mystery meat (laughs) okay you said that but i don't understand where do you find mystery meat was it it it, the leftovers containers but you really um, didn't know what it was? I mean, well, I, I have a pretty good idea. I'm pretty sure it was pork tenderloin that we cooked uh, a little uh, about a week ago. Oh, a week still. in. Oh, yeah. That's not a good idea. I always. Well, I, it, it got repurposed into a soup. The <laughs> soup was wonderful. Lots of spices, curry powder, chili powder, uh, you know, various. Uh, I don't even remember. My wife made it. Then again, maybe she poisoned me. Uh, you know. Now that you said she made it, this is bringing on a whole different level. Now, is she ill? Did she not eat this? Not that I'm aware of. Uh Uh-huh. But she made your food and your... Now, I mean, the other thing, which you didn't know, I guess, even though I think we covered it here on Grumpy Old Ben's way back in March or so. I mean, the the whole gastric thing is often a first sign of the COVID. So, I mean, this could be the first domino. I I heard that. I heard that somewhere. And you... You linked an article, and uh, my my first comment when you linked the article was, I said, uh, uh, this article is pegging my bullshit meter. There were there were a lot of of you know such and such could potentially or or may cause or according to a new study. Yes, and I went ahead and I, I clicked a couple other articles just to check, and all of them seem to link to the same study. Um, this study was from. Uh, I'm not going to be able to pronounce this, but, um, a university in China, um, I don't necessarily, Tongji Medical College. Sure. Um, good old Tongji. Yeah. And, um, I, I went, went ahead and read through the study just because, uh, let's see, there were, it's mostly a statistical study. There were. 206 patients with uh, low severity COVID-19. Um, some of them presented with a digestive symptom alone. Some had digestive and respiratory, yada, yada. Okay. So the conclusions that they come to in the study and the only thing the data really 
uh, represents is that there were people who had COVID who had stomach symptoms. Yes. And, and they even admit in the study, although not all the articles admit this, that uh, there are a lot of other reasons why you could have stomach symptoms. One of them is cough medicine. Yeah, a lot of medications can. And I mean, there's a valid question in the troll room available at noagendastream.com when we do these shows. And that is from our friend and buddy and today's executive producer, Sir John Fletcher, who's the only one. So let's just get that right up front here. Thank you, John Fletcher, for supporting Grumpy Old Ben's. This is your show. It ends at a 13. Bembrose is sick. So I don't know if you're going to get what you paid for, but we certainly hope so. He asks the question. Uh, how often do you usually put strange meat into your mouth? And that seems like a loaded question to me. I did. You better be loaded with strange meat. <laughs> I mean, I, I yeah. like Fletcher, motherfucker. That's right. And hug story. And I, you know, am had a, about eh, two or so years ago, three years ago, uh, ate some guacamole. I think that was a little past and had a had a bad day after. And ever since. I've been very much like if I can't find a date on something in the fridge, I just throw it out because <laughs> what's I mean, it's like having that really bad hangover. Once you have the the food poisoning and you're like, uh, and yeah, you you go the other route. And you're like, nope, honey, how long uh, has this been in the fridge? I don't know. Well, I, it's you know, I've, I've lived with this immune system for a really long time. I, I my relationship with my immune system is kind of like my relationship with you. Where I I trust you for certain things, but I also have to heap abuse whenever possible. Yeah, yeah, you just got to test it out. And uh, and speaking of that, uh, Chicago fifty people shot, five people killed over the weekend. I know usually we give that report. And their immune system didn't help with that. No, lead poisoning. Uh, pretty much is a bad bad thing going on in Chicago. We just like to let people know on Mondays how the weekend in Chicago is gone. Because you would it, think that being in Chicago, you'd start to get inoculated against that form of lead poisoning. You would think that would be uh, we need a we need a vaccination, which I guess is a lot of Kevlar. <laughs> yes. Man, yes. Yeah, yes. a lot of Kevlar vests. But as I said, this is the brand new PC that we're running on, which is good. Made it through a rock and roll pre-show yesterday without crashing. It's a very fast PC, but we all know that the biggest pain in the ass when setting up a new computer is that you're setting up a new computer because after it's set up and usually it only takes a couple of days for this to happen. But after it's set up, you take everything for granted, you know, even just downloading something that's in a zip or an RAR archive and, you know, having a program that will extract it, you know, these little things. Oh yeah. It'll, it'll be a week or two before you finally get to the point where you're like, Oh, right. I don't have that on this machine. Yes. And like you said, I mean, the thing to do isn't to just go down the list of what's on the old machine and install it. Now, there are certain things I did that for because I know I use them on a daily basis. But for the other things that you're like, oh, well, I use that occasionally. It's like, yeah, don't install it until you need to, because that's everything you install adds crud. And uh, that- well, there's there's another reason to to late install things. And that is that. uh a lot of the software out there, you get there's a new version coming out every 30 seconds. So you might as well, you know, if if it doesn't have its own auto updater, which there has those have their own problems, um, then you want to grab whatever version is available at the time that you need it. Well, right. You always want it updated, which is one of the reasons why one of the and I made a list. I mean, this is some content I think that was good for today. I didn't even think about this until this morning because I'm like, a lot of people get new computers for the holidays. 
you're setting up new machines. What software do you need? People ask all the time about, you know, what we use for the podcasting and stuff like that. So it's like I kind of made a list and figured this could be some content, especially once I heard you were a little bit down, a little bit, you know, under the weather. This is some nice, easy content. You don't have to think too hard about it. But one of the first things that I installed was the chocolatey package manager, which we talked about a couple of shows ago for that reason alone, which is a lot of programs don't update all the time. And like our chocolatey goodness. Yes. Chocolatey goodness. And it's like you can run it in PowerShell, which you like to do everything in PowerShell. That's how I run it. (laughs) You know, which we don't recommend that for everybody. But if you're if you're old school and you like command line and all that kind of stuff, it's one way to get everything done without a lot of the bloatware. One of the things I found with a lot of these things that exist in the chocolatey ecosystem are that it installs everything without any of the bloatware or anything like that, where a lot of these programs, there is nothing worse than you're going to install your favorite whatever. And it could be, you know, WinZip. And, you know, if you don't remember to click the little button like, yes, I want to try the whatever they're pushing at you. I I made a decision a long time ago. I, I if it is at all remotely possible, which it usually is, I will not run an installer anymore. It, it, I, I, you know, it's something like chocolatey. A package manager is really good at, at just grabbing the thing and dumping it on the hard drive. But the vast majority of installers will simply unpack a self-extracting executable and put them to in a space on your hard drive somewhere. Well, I can do that. And the the small percentage of, you know, the, the installer is it's a, co- a piece of software that you just downloaded that you're running with admin privileges, with the power to overwrite anything in your system, with the power to install drivers. And if I know that my software doesn't need a driver, I don't want to give some third party utility that, you know, especially if I'm just downloading it because it, you know, plays dancing monkeys or something I'm like. Oh, so. You know, I I know I've given this advice before, but if you do get a download package and it ends with .exe executable, um, if you change, if you edit the file and you change .exe to zip and try to open it, you might just get all the files. And then if you pull those and drop them into a directory somewhere, then you get your program, but it hasn't taken a shit in your registry. It hasn't run with any uh, admin privileges. And you know that it hasn't installed a bunch of crap outside of there right now, which is good there's there's always some software that doesn't work if you don't install it you know i for example um image editing um i always liked paint.net but i can't use it because there's no portable installer and it does not work unless you've given it a chance to dump a bunch of dlls into your windows folder i'm like no how about you you know you package up a it, that that's the other thing I always look for is when there's a download available. I always look for a a portable install because those are the ones that it's designed to drop into a USB key instead of infecting your program files folder. Right, and doesn't put things into the registry because it doesn't know where it's going to be plugged into. Exactly. And so if it has any kind of uh, settings that need to be saved, it's saving it in the file you know of the folder what that's on the USB key or wherever it is. And I mean, I get it. That makes it easier for most things. Now, is there any really big downside to having something up, having a portable version of most software? 
Well, sometimes it doesn't work correctly. <laughs> okay, that'll um, be. The, the biggest downside, as far as I'm concerned, is that you don't. Uh, there isn't a portable version for most of them. Well, right. Uh, there is there is one other downside, and that is if you don't run an installer, then it's not going to put any icons in your start menu, which means that when you drop it into a directory, you got to figure out where that directory is. You got to know where that is, and you might even have to right click and say create shortcut somewhere on your own. And I know that's really difficult for a lot of users, but. Well, yeah, because the start menu is another one of these things that people just get used to having. And I mean, I ne- I mean, OK, I won't say never, but it's very rare that I open up the start program. It's usually when I'm like, oh, you know what? I've got a program that looks at the directories, you know, the whole status and tells me how much each folder is taking up. I What was the name of that? You know, that's the then you go look for what's on the system. But otherwise, I've recently found and it's one of the uh, programs that I, I think is essential for most people at this point. If you've never tried it which I think we may have talked about this a few weeks ago, the windows, the power toys, because they have the launcher now, which is just, you know, you hit, uh, what is it? Alt space bar. And it kind of opens up a, uh, a search line kind of like uh, yeah. Macintosh. And you just type the first few letters or whatever program you're looking for. It shows up, you hit enter, it starts the program. I mean, in theory, windows has that. If you just hit the windows key to pull up the start menu, start typing then Cortana will tell you whatever it is you need to know. And that would be awesome if that search was worth a shit. Right. The power toys one's better. When, it appears. When, at least. When, uh, I, I feel like that search kind of went downhill right about the time when you're, you're sitting here going, okay, I want to know uh, what program opens images and it gives me a page of fucking Bing searches. Uh huh. Oh yeah. Like wasn't planning on going to the internet for this one. Yes, I, I want what's on my local machine. And that's where I understand people want that capability for some things. But overall, there should be an easy way to differentiate, like just search on my machine as opposed to go search my machine and the rest of the known world. Because There's, there's another program. I actually only found out about this recently, but I found out that that it's a program that Adam has been using to sort his sizable Adam Curry from No Agenda sort his extremely sizable collection of clips um, that, I mean, he's got tens of thousands of them by now, but the program is called everything. And it is just a program that indexes your whole hard drive by file name. And you type a partial file name and that's all it does is it'll give you whatever, everything on your hard drive with locations and, and uh, that match whatever you typed in supports regex. It's a, I mean, it's it's what start menu sh- search should have been before they decided that they were going to index inside of Word docs and and link you to Bing searches and stuff like that. See, I should make a note of this because I don't use this. But now, how do you find this program? Because if I just go and search Google for Bing everything, search. <laughs> it's like, OK, this, I thought I named my podcast poorly. This is a very poorly named program. We'll just go search for everything. <laughs> that doesn't seem like it's easy. Yeah. Um, uh sure i'm sure yeah, we can we can, uh, we can put that link in the show void, void tools.com void tools so is this for yes. void zero put together uh this is something i doubt it <laughs> yeah i don't think he's the only person who has ever I used the word void before i'm aware of that uh for in, searching in fact yeah. void zero is is a uh i, I well i assume I, I didn't ask him 
but I assume it's actually a link to the uh, the canonical way in C to get a null pointer. I love when you talk dirty. You, you, you take, because a null pointer has the numeric value of zero, and if you cast that to uh, avoid, then you end up getting a value that is you know what it does it's a programming thing well i didn't uh in the uh, troll room cold acid says he maintains a number of chocolatey packages so he is part of the chocolatey family now i don't trust it nearly as much <laughs> now you're really questioning where these things come from i'm going to add that link to the uh to the notes here the, the, the uh, void tools it's it, it's a good app i i only recently started using it and i haven't i definitely haven't unlocked its full potential but it it went up immensely in my mind when I heard that that's what Adam Curry was using to sort through tens of thousands of MP3 files that he drops into his soundboard on the fly during the show. Yes. And it, it does it very quickly. And you have to uh, it has to be able to handle a lot of files and naming those files then becomes very important. And it sounds like he has a co-host who doesn't always name the files very well. <laughs> no, but- no, he he. He has a co-host who doesn't name the files very well. That's correct. That makes it more uh, fun. Had, and I had one more point uh, with regards to the start menu. And I, I know this is not something that most people are going to do, but it certainly works for me. Um, it, it is incentive to never go to the start menu for search or programs or anything else. And that is I'm running Windows 8. Yeah, you're old school. The new the start menu has changed in Windows 10. If I, really if, I hit, if I hit this button, I don't get a menu. I get a giant screen of blocks. Oh, yeah, because it was the tablet interface. Everybody yeah. was going tablets in Windows 8. So I've got I, I, I've trained myself like there's that the pristine key that's never been touched on my keyboard is is the Windows key. Actually, that's not remotely true because the way that I launch most things is hold <laughs> Windows, Windows key, key plus R. Right. So you're just I love when you fact check yourself instantaneously. Yeah. You're like, I never touch that key. And you're like, liar, you do it all the time. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, somebody has to. The uh, the program I use for searching, which is what I use as an Explorer replacement. And this is one of the few programs, even way back when, when I didn't have a whole lot of cash. This was one of the programs I would gladly pay the money for. And it's some developers out of Australia that make this. Uh, it's called Directory Opus, which is the best damn Windows Explorer replacement that I've ever found. If there's anything better. And I bet it's easier to search for than everything. <laughs> Yes, it's a little easier to find directory opus than it would be for everything. And I mean, it just does everything you need to do because you can do the FTP stuff. It's very good with originally written for the Amiga computer system in the early to mid 1990s. I hope they've updated it since then. Yeah, they, they constantly update, which, again, is something that you're looking for when you're dealing with this kind of stuff, Um, because my wife now has my old computer, but I set her up with her own account so it didn't have directory opus set up right away so she was looking for something to her list of links and i'm like well what's it named And i'm trying to like search from uh you know windows explorer and it's like no no let me let me install opus and boom you i love how all of the all of the best utilities and tools have websites that look like they came straight out of 2002 yeah, and they're the best things going on. Blitz says he's been using Directory Opus since the Commodore Amiga 4000. So uh, these guys know their stuff, and they're very yeah. good at it. And and they're also old. Yes. Like us. Yes, they're all like us, which is why we like to uh, use their product, because it's also because it's good. Yeah. 
But I was. I mean, when you have a product that's older than most of your users, you know you got something going on, right? Yes, it knows. You know that uh, they're probably not going to disappear anytime soon, and that's a good thing. I was surprised at how many of the things that I use daily was available on Chocolatey, which again is good, mainly for not just because it's easier to install, which it's all command line install, which is once you have Chocolatey installed, you give it the Choco C H O C O install and then usually just the name and then you can give it a you, know. See, you do use the command line yeah i do and uh, i mean that's uh the the best thing about it is once you install things with chocolatey you can do a daily you know automated thing or if you want to do it manually you can do that too but then you just go into your command line or powershell and do choco or choco upgrade all and then give it the yeah. flag of why, why. And it goes through every one of those programs and goes, is there any update? And if so, it just installs it and it's done. That's I mean, it's it's the glorious thing that Microsoft has wanted to do forever with Windows Update, but was never able to because of internal politics. Yeah, well, I mean, this is the uh, thing that if you want to keep your computer secure and i mean i understand yeah. people and will also make, we wouldn't trust microsoft with that well that's right that that's true but i mean also i mean to be fair sometimes updates have their own issues like i mean remember cc cleaner which uh one of the updates was just totally horrible and so i mean i understand that some people be like well you don't want to yeah. you were just talking on friday about how that app was uh phoning home yeah phoning home even though it wasn't set to run which i always find to be interesting it's like hey i put it on my system i want to run it when i want to run it i don't want it running all the time but uh, a lot of these programs a lot you know they may not be nefarious it could just be something like oh we're they've a lot of these programs use a separate entity to look for updates and of course then that would phone home but you know that's still kind of worrisome to me but that's why now that this thing is set up i'm going to go full on full bore and see this winston device handling the whole network and then we'll really see what devices are phoning home and i'll probably be horrified by the whole thing so our conclusion here is that if you like darren need to feed your app fetish chocolatey is the right way to do it it is it is and uh i mean i installed a seven zip using that and WinWar, which uh, both are great programs why, why would you why would you install seven zip and WinRAR? they do the same thing you know i found that seven zip sometimes works a little bit better if somebody actually used the uh instead of the normal zip they use the s7z you know their own seven zip uh encoding which, uh, you know, that's just there in case one of them doesn't work. And I have run into cases where WinRAR just kind of went, nope. And uh, and 7-Zip. Yeah. Well, I, I use only 7-Zip for that reason. It, it supports RAR files. And there have been a couple of times when I ended up with a RAR file that, that 7-Z didn't open. But you just go get a new version. They're like, yeah, by the way, these, these guys keep changing their shit. They keep messing stuff up. Yeah. Well. um. I do have a story uh, on the topic of updates about uh, how over-the-air updates can always uh, give you some slight headaches. Well, yeah, but didn't or we want to go down the rest least of these leave programs you here? I mean, you're like, you're, you're segueing. Yeah. But, I mean, I was just going to go down programs? the list. Are you, are you just going down your chocolatey list? Is that? No, no, there were some that weren't under chocolatey. Like, for instance, my password manager, I don't think was on chocolatey. I use RoboForm, where I know nobody else does, but I love RoboForm. 
And if you're not and, using and a password manager, you should be. I know you, you're on what LastPass now or Keep Pass. Keep Pass. Yeah. And uh, I mean, RoboForm, I like really because it's also been around forever. I've been using this for like 15 years plus, it seems. And it works very well on Windows, Android, and the Apple, all three. It's always synced up and it always works. And I know you're like, well, you got to trust the company. They say it's encrypted, so they don't even have any of this stuff. And I believe them until somebody can prove they're not. That is the password manager I've been using for audio. DB Power Amp, another one that I've been paying for forever, which is what I use. I record our show using Adobe Audition, which is also on the list, but I export that in a full uncompressed wave file. And then I use DB Power Amp to convert that over to the sweet sounding MP3 that we release. <laughs> yes, it is the one of the I think it's the lame encoder now. There used to be a and couple I, of different I, almost everything in MP3 is the lame encoder because it's one of the only ones that it doesn't cost a crap ton. Yeah, there's a few different ones. And I mean DB Power Amp's great if you want to convert stuff to flack. They have a great CD ripper, and that's what I use for all the thousands of CDs that I have. You go in DB Power Amp and uh it makes it nice and easy if you're digitizing a collection or if you have a bunch of like you saved everything as wave files and now you're like why am i using all this hard drive space i could just yeah. convert them to flack you know do when, that when you're when, when you buy new hard drives as often as you install apps yeah that is kind of uh that is kind of the problem i can always use more hard drives so adobe of course we're using audition use photoshop as of yet, those are the only Adobe things I've installed, although Premiere will eventually come back on my system too. the next time I want to produce some kind of video. Uh, we talked about Windows Power Toys already AI for playing audio like the No Agenda stream, which a lot of you are listening to right now or just for listening to your music collection. I use a Russian product because I, I like the collusion. It is uh, AIMP, which is AIMP.ru, which was my replacement for Winamp like way back when Winamp became crap. I, mean, I, I remember when Winamp was good. I know. How old does that make me? Oh, it makes you at least like 40 there's, years old. There's a lot of shit that Winamp did that I still have not seen a, a program do effectively. Like what? Well, for one thing, Winamp had a button. It had a, you know, there's the row of controls, the the skip forward, back, play, pause, etc. Right. Winamp had one that you do not find on most modern uh, audio or video players anymore. It, it it had a black square on it. Do you even remember what this one did? The black. It's called stop. Oh, no. Why would you ever want to stop the good times? Uh, to release resources so I can fuck with the file. <laughs> well, that's why most Winamp. apps, most apps, you go and play a file and it locks a damn file. And if you're like, if I'm sorting through my uh, library or trying to work on clips or something, I hit go and I'm like, go play this. And it's like, okay, now I know what that is. And I want to rename it. It's like, I'm sorry, this file is in use. Right. right. And you have to kill the fucking program because there's no stop button. Well, I mean, yeah. the most important thing about Winamp was that it, uh, it kicked the llama's ass. It really whipped the llama's ass. Oh. And I never really understood where that came from. Is that like a phrase from the chase we should be uh, investigating? No, no. It was an in-joke from Winamp back in the days of Winamp. I mean, I don't know. Does no, anybody the know? developers. <laughs> Damn developers. You can't uh, trust those programmers. Wikipedia has, has an explanation for that. You should read it sometime. Okay, I will. You should just read Wikipedia, all of it. 
okay, I'll be back in like 12 years. I, I, I honestly don't know that you could. I think that, that Wikipedia might be like YouTube. New, new content is being added faster than you can go through the old stuff. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Digi also, all that new content is completely biased, just like YouTube. Yes, it is. It is. It's nicely slanted to one side or the other. DigiGuru says VLC rules the day. I agree for video, but when I'm listening I, to audio, I prefer AIMP. I, I use VLC for audio and video. I use VLC for listening to the No Agenda stream. Um, I, I'll give you one very simple reason why I prefer VLC. Command line interface. Well, see, yeah, that's because you're old school. Yeah. I just like the look of AIMP better. It makes it nice and easy to record the stream when it's on. So it's always good to have that backup. I'm sure I know you can do it all with a VLC as well. You just it's what you get used to. That is what a lot of it comes down to. And uh, the other thing that I've learned, well, not really learned, but got reacquainted with now with setting up a new machine is finding the folder or the area on the old machine where all of your settings and all the preferences and stuff are stored because it's easy to you know i took the mix program which we use for this the no agenda rock and roll pre-show and all that well it's easy to reinstall mix but it doesn't have all of the settings to connect to the no agenda stream it doesn't have all the links and everything set up with my audio interface so you realize that this isn't just as easy which in a great world this is where the portable yeah. versions of things make a whole lot and, more yeah, sense. I, that that's uh, one of the big problem or differences between the installed and portable is Microsoft has decided that the place where anything keeps like anything any data that it wants to be persistent is always just put it in the registry, which is an awful 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 idea because nothing ever removes your preferences from the registry and that's how you get registry bloat is something dumps data in the registry and it you know, this is actually a pretty long rant, so you can stop me if, if you want. No, but no, go ahead. The way that Microsoft decided that shit was going to be installed uh, was the, you know, they, the, it, once upon a time, Microsoft had this idea that every instance of Windows should be available as a multi-user machine. And that's why they created the program files directory. Uh, and, and, you know, then they got even worse with program files x86, but uh, it, it, putting parentheses in names is horrible. But honestly, they fucked up by putting a space in the name that makes everything in the command line terrible. Fuck you, Microsoft, for even putting a space in the name of the most common fucking path that anyone uses. Um, it infuriated anyone who used command line. But at the time, they were on this huge push to push everything into a GUI. Microsoft had this idea that every program was to be intent every program should work in a multi-user environment it's why uh the users folder is set up the way it is it's why the program files folder is set up the way it is the the idea is that an app installs all of its persistent uh, non-changeable stuff like data files like executables images whatever in the program files directory which is protected and locked as administrator only and then you anything that's per user gets stored in the registry because that way a new user can pop onto your system and suddenly you get a brand new place in the registry and fresh settings and two different users can set their settings and it not interfere with each other it's a beautiful great idea except that the vast majority of windows installs only ever have one user 
Yes. Even I mean, the ones where there's multiple uh, multiple physical people who use it, they all use the same damn login. A yes. lot of them. Yes. No, I was just going to say that when you were when you were ranting about this whole thing, when I moved the machine I had been using over to my wife's desk, this is the first time in the history of owning computers that I've ever set up a second account for her so she could have, uh, you know, when she starts on that machine, rather than just going, well, here it is, use the same login that we had just mainly because she likes everything on the desktop. She's one of the messy folks. And I think you're like this as well, that you just store so many things on the desktop, all the folders and files and things. There are certain well, I use I use the desktop for temporary storage, but OK, so you're not it, one of those. I mean, there are no, people I know. that have when like I, I, I periodically clear everything off my desktop into a folder somewhere called temp 341 and then i lose it there right because it's never to be seen again i mean she stores a lot in the desktop and i'm like you know what that's what that's what everything is for and i can't i'm like yes where the hell did i put this go find it yes and i can't deal with that so it's like well here let me do this i'll set up a second account and so that way i just dumped her old hard drive everything onto the desktop but that is the first time and we've been um using a windows machine we bought our first one. It was a Packard Bell when I was working at Circuit City. I think it was a 386 Packard Bell. You know what? You know, it wasn't a Packard Bell. The I first one, one was a Micron, a 386, I believe, from Micron, which we bought like the year before we got married. So that would be 1994. And uh, yeah, we've never, never used multiple, more than one account on the machine. Uh, no, it, it it's not even necessary in most cases, as long as you can, you know, as long as the, the different people can handle the same theme or, you right. know, desktop background image or whatever. I, I, I mean, we don't even have to deal with that in this house because I have my computer. She has her computer. The right. cats all have their own right. catnip toys. And, you know, I don't I don't go to her computer. She doesn't go to my computer. It all works. But even if you're a one computer household, if you can all handle the same desktop background image which is usually that picture of the fucking xp wheat field that everybody's had around since 2002 mine then, are pretty much a victoria's secret models yeah yeah actually mine's always porn <laughs> I, you set your background to something you want to look at yes i don't want to look at wheat <laughs> no i don't want to look at wheat which is also why one of the programs on my list is called display fusion which does a lot of cool things for multi-monitor setups but the reason oh, really? i originally got it was the fact that it would do a rotating, uh, you know, slideshow? You know, it would change your background as whenever you wanted to on multiple I should monitors. Check this one out. I ended up writing my own program so that because <laughs> three monitors, I didn't want the same image on all of them. Right, you don't want and, it stretched. And Windows Windows exposes an API that allows you to set the desktop background, but it doesn't give you. You know, it it has an option for. Right click set as left monitor, right click set as right monitor, but it doesn't expose that publicly. So I just had to write one that creates it takes three images and turns them into a bitmap the full width of my screen. Oh yeah, that's not yeah, no. You want to do something. It's better. so hacky, but you know what? It if if you need three different sets of boobs on your three monitors, it, it's the only way to go. It is. And the display fusion, I mean, you could even set them to change at different times, which is freaky. I don't like that. I'm a little OCD about that. It's like I want all three pictures shaking at the same time. I don't want it doing it at random weird times. I don't know why it doesn't really make a difference. (laughs) They are not connected in any way, shape or form. 
But uh, Display Fusion, again, all these links will be in the show notes, but DisplayFusion.com. It is another program that I used, pirated uh, for a while, and then was like, you know what? I, this is too useful. I will actually pay so uh, these guys can stick around. And uh, I mean, it's, if you have multiple monitors, especially, it, it even does weird things like you could break up. And I don't have any monitors big enough to do this, but you could break up a large monitor into multiple virtual monitors. So all the stuff we had been talking about, like, yeah, we need like something that could just snap into that area and work. It basically can make your huge monitor look like two or three smaller ones and act like they were individual monitors. So if you like <laughs> the uh, if you like that ability, you know, check it out. I've you, never get, done the deep dive and everything that can do. But just reading about what it can do was like, oh, I should try that at some point. You just reminded me of something Progo said in the troll room right before we started, where he said, uh, anybody who has multiple monitors, you should throw them away and invest in one big monitor because and then make sure that your desktop manager can put all your windows in zones. Right. Right. I, so. I, 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 I disagree with you, Progo, on that one. For one thing, um, I, I already have three very natural and distinct zones on my monitors. They're called three monitors. And yes. I don't have to to futz around with trying to make them yeah they did just say okay you go over here you go over here and at any given time i have three things that i can look up and glance at just by turning my eyes yes and they're angled so i mean it's really i know you can get a slight curve on the you know larger monitors but these the the side monitors are angled more than uh the monitors usually bend so uh yeah these these are probably a good 25 degree angle in the side so anyways uh yeah, for the vast majority of people who have only one account on their system, uh, the idea of installing the program files and then putting all your settings somewhere else is kind of ridiculous because I, I don't know about you, but when I organize things, uh, I, I take all of the stuff that came from the factory with the product and then anything that I add on that I use to customize the product and I put it in the same place. The portable version of the software you you grab all of it you drop it in a directory and then it stores its any files or whatever settings in the same directory that's the way i want for a couple reasons one i know that if i want anything to do with this program it is already in the same place i don't have to go searching somewhere else i don't have to search the registry i don't have to look uh and the other advantage the huge advantage um have you ever been able to successfully uninstall a program it's um, a lot harder than you think it is. And that's why there are other apps slash programs that will do nothing but that, which is uninstall. And sometimes they work. Yes. And sometimes they don't. <laughs> sometimes they work. Sometimes <laughs> they don't. There's no question well, about it. If, if you installed it as a portable version and you just unpack the zip into a directory and all of the settings are stored there and all the data files are stored there, then you don't want that anymore. Select the directory, hit delete done yeah i mean i get what they were trying to do to a certain point because of one of the big reasons why all of this user data goes into the app data folder in windows is that well this is all you need to back up because then if if your system crashes you could reinstall mix you could reinstall all these programs but all you need is that data file to get back to all of your customizations and all the data you added to yeah, it so it's I a neat idea has it ever worked I, i'm sure it has but i don't think it's worked well you know that's the yeah. uh, that's the difference and it makes what it makes for is one when you start running out of hard drive space that is the biggest pain in the ass like 
Um, I want to try to move this to a different folder or a different drive. Uh, how do I do that? And most programs don't either make it very upfront on changing sure. that setting or you can't at all because there's because there's a path in 73 different places in the registry where there's a path that points to where the program is. Right. So you break everything when you grab, you just grab the folder and move it to the other drive the way it should be. And if everything's contained in the folder, like a portable version, great, you can move it. If it's installed, then now you have to go into your registry and do a fucking search for the old path and change it to the new path over and over again. Or, and, and this is almost worse in a lot of cases, you have to do an uninstall from the original place and install to the new place. Why? And that even assumes that the installer gives you the option of where to put it fucking chrome <laughs> they, well, they, they know better they know better no they don't chrome chrome takes like 40 gigabytes of fucking storage and and the only place that it will allow you to install is on your c drive well my c drive only has 100 gigabytes total fuck you chrome yeah that's not cool that's not cool at all that's the one thing i was happy was that this machine upped the uh the m2 ssd from uh, a half of a terabyte to a full terabyte and uh that's more than enough to work with for most people (laughs) i mean yeah i could fill it up but i also had a i mean this just tells you how quick things move in this house uh last year i think was for christmas we got the wife a uh a 500 gigabyte uh samsung ssd drive to put into her machine Never quite got around to it, so I uh, I threw that into this yeah. machine. So now I got you know, I nice, yeah. So that now I got I, I, a terabyte and a half. I only just recently installed the one terabyte SSD we just picked up, and right now the only use that it has is is I uh, I cop uh, I mirrored my D drive, which is is a spindle drive. So I need to start moving things over to use the new SSD. What I would have liked to have done was to switch my system drive over to that so that C was on a faster SSD that has a lot more space and that right. would solve up a lot of my problems. Why didn't you do but, that? Uh, well, the reason is that if I ever move my system drive on this computer, Microsoft is probably going to start reinforcing the checks that say, oh, we're sorry, you're not allowed to run Windows 8 on new hardware because we've <laughs> decided that you have to upgrade to Win 10. A check that I managed to disable but if if I ever perturb this thing to the point where it decides I have to reinstall, I, I might be done with Windows forever. And I tell you, I did uh, make a phone call. Well, they call you to Microsoft support because I was curious about something. The wife's old machine. Wait, Microsoft support. Yes. I, don't, I, know. I, I know what those two words mean separately. <laughs> Together, it's an oxymoron. It is. It is. And uh, nothing, nothing against the people that are working for Microsoft support. But it's the uh, the first time in a long time that I've gotten a customer service rep, obviously in India, where it was hard even understanding the basic words that she was saying, which makes getting support for technical issues way harder than it should be. But I was just curious because I grabbed the key off of the old machine, which was a machine that I had built. I mean, I think the machine... The best I can tell was probably built in like uh, 2009. So, I mean, one good on you. That's why you build a very powerful machine 
when you're building the computer so they could last, you know, 10 years or so. But it had Windows 10 Pro on it. And I was pretty sure that I never paid for Windows 10 Pro. And I think it was going back to a Windows 7 Pro license that a buddy of mine gave me because he worked for a company that did, you know, software uh, and they had the whole MSDN, whatever the package was back then. They may still have those where you could get like 10 copies of every operating system yeah those those were actually intended the whole reason that that existed was they were intended for developers right who needed a version of windows to test on it was supposed to be just for testing your app like if you're building software you you throw windows on a test yeah i I would venture to say that a lot of people probably just grabbed and were like this is going to be my primary windows now and it was chugging along for a decade so i figured uh you know, when I gave the key, I'm like, this isn't working because uh, I was trying to upgrade because the Dell that I got from Costco, unlike the one that I bought from Costco three years ago, which was the same damn machine, the configuration was changed. And instead of having Windows 10 Pro, they had Windows 10 Home. And I'm a little bit anal. I mean, you could probably figure that out on some of this stuff. And you don't I, say And I do use remote desktop. And that's one thing that doesn't come on windows 10 home for some reason because i guess you know if you're a home user you never need to remote into your desktop i mean yeah. i guess nobody Be- leaves the house home, now. home users will never have more than one computer it's the same reason why you have to have separate user accounts for everything right right yeah so i, I decided i wanted to do the upgrade and i just paid the 99 bucks to uh to upgrade to windows 10 pro and it gives you the bit locker not that i've really ever used it but i'm like i just want the remote desktop and i wasn't about to change i'm like if i'm gonna do this i'm doing it before i install any other program on the machine because i don't know how i mean i know it's a very small mainly just turning features on upgrade which is also kind of a bullshit thing the it was amazingly the upgrade from windows 10 home to windows 10 pro after going into the microsoft store and i think it's the first time i've ever gone into the microsoft store i know it's the first time i've ever bought anything out of the microsoft store the upgrade to Windows 10 Pro was so fast. I was like, I can't even believe this did anything. But uh, but sure enough. Yeah, it's it's well, showing. It, it, yeah. You want to know what it did? It flipped it, something it, in the registry. Yeah. It flipped something in the registry to turn on features. Yeah. Thanks. Which were already on your system. Yeah. Thanks, Microsoft. But uh, <laughs> I, I felt it was it did soften the blow knowing that I was using, you know, a free version of Windows for like the last decade. I'm like. Okay, you got me this time. I'll throw the hundred bucks at you just so this will work the way I want it to. And so far it has, which is a good thing. You know, I was like, the first thing I did was, oh, let me go to uh, with the latest drivers for the video card. Because again, another NVIDIA uh, card in here. Uh, Let me see if going to Twitter will crash the system. And it didn't. (laughs) I've never been so happy that going to a web page didn't crash my system. I, I, you know, that too would make me happy if I weren't so used to it. <laughs> it happens all the time. So, yeah, I mean, this is the fun of getting set up. And then, of course, FileZilla. If anybody does anything with FTP one way or the other, you mean setting up a server or needing a client? I don't know why anybody would use anything but FileZilla. It is awesome. It is free. Never pay for an FTP program. Um, I, I, I usually just write my own. 
Well, you you do this a lot, obviously. I mean, Actually, you, I, I don't. It seems like what? you have all this free time, but you haven't written the grumpy old Ben's app yet. But that, that's because I object to it on religious reasons. <laughs> okay, I can understand that. Um, uh, honestly, no, I don't have FileZilla, and you want to know why? What the hell do you use FTP for? What what do you download that uses FTP? I I, I really don't know. Um, you're aware of the fact that. Every episode of Grumpy Old Ben's that we release has to be FTP'd up to a server, right? No, I never do that. <laughs> no, you don't. That's also, the problem. Also, all all I need is OpenSSH installed on the server, and I use SCP. Yeah, that would work too. I'm sure. I just FTP like unencrypted. Do you want people stealing well, no. and reading our Grumpy Old Ben's data in transit? Yes. No, you can encrypt. You can do the SFTP as well. Uh. And if you do, then I, I don't know, I, I guess I just when I transfer files, I always use things like SCP, which is just there when there's an SSH daemon. And I, I don't uh, I guess the I guess average, if you need a GUI. <laughs> yeah, the average user likes just the drag and drop. It makes it nice and easy to get some things done. Those damn dragons. Yeah, I was I was really happy that it wasn't a big deal to transfer the putty settings over another thing that i use for the no agenda stream more oh, than, i use putty all the time you know the, the the no agenda stream was the only one though where void set it all up where you had to have the security all the extra certificates and all that stuff and i'm like oh i just hope this is going to be easy you to transfer from just one machine. need a key yeah yeah i know and, and, and pageant is so easy just to have it launch what is pageant um, for Oh, oh, uh, you you don't know about that one? No. What is pageant? Pageant comes with putty. It oh. is an extra program. It's a putty pageant. You launch it, it. It sits in your system tray. And once you launch it, you right click and just say add key and you give it the key file that you would give putty. And now anytime putty wants to find a key file, the first place it goes, look is pageant. And then you don't have to enter a key or a password every single time you log in somewhere. Wow, that sounds like high tech redneck stuff. Yeah, it's it's it is high tech. It's it's new fancy technology that's only been around for thirty years. Woo! I should look into that. That's new technology. Yeah, new shit um, has come to light. Yeah, and speaking of, for reasons it's best not to speculate, I need to step away for a couple of minutes. Okay, well, enjoy yourself. I mean, <laughs> maybe the cat will. Poor, poor Ryan, and the the food poisoning will get you. But the other programs that i installed right off the bat auto hotkey which mainly the reason i went to auto hotkey i'm sure people are using this for all sorts of things the reason i initially went to it was getting a keyboard that i really liked that didn't have any volume controls on it and once you're used to having a keyboard with volume controls on it and all of a sudden you don't have a keyboard with volume controls on it you realize how much you use the damn volume controls having a mute that kind of thing on the keyboard well, this auto hotkey program basically runs a little script and it's a very simple scripting language. Hey, even I can do it. The thing lets you do anything from assign different hotkeys. Of course, that's the name auto hotkey. I use it for the volume, but I've also, when I was responding back, you know, like doing all of the Amazon reviews, people would always send emails like, hey, do you want to try my new widget? And I would just come down, you know, it had like a little two or three, forget what it even was, a little keys combination that it would just print out my name, address, all the usual information, 
you had the whole thing already in there like oh i would be glad to try your and then you just enter whatever the product was so it makes things a lot easier yes different macros that uh it's a beautiful thing progo it makes your life a whole lot easier if you are constantly typing the same thing over and over and over again or if you want to do some uh you know crazy stuff with uh just simplifying you know i know people could use these for those those crazy newfangled video games and stuff setting up key macros and all that Uh, another program i like to install which i don't know if if a lot of people use this one or not it's the bellark advisor which it's basically a program that will take a complete inventory of your system and then give you a, a page you know a printout of you know what cpu is in the system what memories in the system, what video card, what monitors you're running, all of the uh, keys for the programs that are installed on there. If you have all the latest security uh, updates done, all this kind of stuff. I found it's really a cool way just to get an idea of what's on a machine in one quick, easy way. It'll give you like uh, also a listing of every device that's on the same network as your machine. So it's some useful information. I mean, nobody really needs it to do anything. But if you want that kind of information, the uh, Bellarc Advisor is where you would go. The Brave browser uh, is still what I'm using as my number one browser. I mean, when it's not crashing, going to Twitter, it seems like a really good browser. And on the new machine so far, it seems stable. But I'm sure we'll try them all out again and compare and contrast those. The only reason I install things like Chrome is so we can do that on clean feed so we can get ryan on uh the chromium was the what we're, we're using for the second version of clean feed when we run two people on and all those kind of things so but we'll eventually try all the different browsers i'm sure thunderbird for email which is great i mean if you're if you don't need the webmail and i know it's such a convenience to have the webmail and you can still do that with most providers but uh, Thunderbird, I found to be really good for the other email for for torrenting. I don't know if this is a popular choice or not, but I went to a Tixati a while ago. T-I-X-A-T-I dot com. It's another open source program, of course. But it always seemed more intuitive to me when some of these other torrenting programs didn't quite work. A lot of them don't necessarily like the. Uh, the VPNs. One thing I like with Tixati, it's nice and easy. You can choose only, like for in my case, the Nord VPN, their Nord Links um, connection. You can say, hey, only use that. So if you uh, see, if Sir Matthew says he knows Tixati, he thinks, well, then that's not knowing Sir Matthew, but I like it. It is a really good program for the torrenting. And you can say, hey, only use this particular network connection so you don't have to worry like oh if your vpn randomly drops the connection that everything's going to be routed over the the non-vpn connection so there's that and of course then there's just assume that that i ridiculed you properly when you mentioned that you use chrome no i said the only reason i download chrome was to run the uh, clean feed for you to be on the show okay well in that case hi Yes, how dare you put me on the show? Yeah, what the hell? That was a bad choice. And giving you access to the microphone is always a bad choice as well. And uh, and then the last thing on my list after all that is VeraCrypt. Again, keep your shit 
safe. Learn how to use Veracrypt. You know, if you're going to be doing anything, because there was a, uh, I didn't clip anything from this or the article, but there was one of these new malwares that was now specifically looking for like the TurboTax uh, and other programs, tax information, you know, all the stuff that you would never want to get out, like your social security number and, you know, salary and banking information and all that. Trust me, it's already out there. It's out there. It's in the ether. Facebook already has it attached to your profile. (laughs) Learn, learn how to use Veracrypt to keep your stuff. That's where you want to have a thumb drive. If you've got like all your banking information and all that stuff. That is still the way I would do it, is have it on a secure thumb drive and pull that sucker out when yeah. you're not using the, it. Now, one the, thing the, I was Yeah, the absolute best way to keep your data safe is to not have it connected to anything if you're not currently using it. Yes. So for very, for very sensitive stuff, that's what you want to do. Uh, one thing I was intrigued by, because I don't remember running into this with VeraCrypt before, was they said that there was the system was now set up. And this might make sense, because when I turn this system on, it seems like it's within 15 or 20 seconds. It's up and running. And I know it's a fast SSD. I know it's a non-crapified system because it's brand new. But the error, not the error, the warning I got when installing Veracrypt was like, oh, there's this new fast boot technology that if you don't turn this off, Windows is actually not completely rebooting your system. It's basically like a hybrid reboot and hibernate because it's still storing some stuff in memory yeah. to reload when it's like, oh, that's kind of important to know. That uh, you, you didn't know that. OK, no, <laughs> no. Why would I, I pay any attention to that? Well, I know hybrid boots have been around since Vista. Uh, I I actually worked on the that I worked on that technology in so much as as I was one of the people responsible for making sure that the audio driver wasn't preventing it from happening. Uh, the you know, Windows has several different methods of of shutting down there. Uh, there's uh, this, the hardware sleep states that are in there. Um, you know, there's there's S zero to S three for different shutdown states. S zero is running um s1 and s2 are standby and s3 is hibernate um hibernate is write all memory to hard drive and then completely shut the system down right um and then then come back to the memory yeah well you you but well when you come back with hibernate it's an actual boot and then it loads the stuff from the hibernate file into memory so you you are actually you know as far as the hardware is concerned you're shutting down when you hibernate okay um what windows prefers to do is drop into a standby mode where it's still using a trickle of power to keep the memory live because then it can come back way faster it doesn't have to thrash the hard drive uh but in vista they started with the uh a a hybrid sleep thing where when you tell it to shut down it actually writes a hibernate file and then goes into standby. And that way, if you come back within a certain amount of time, like six hours, um, it will just resume from standby. And it's been using a trickle of power the whole time. And it, after a certain amount of time, it will just power off. And then if you come back later, it'll pull up the hyper file. Uh, trust me, uh, this, this, in, this whole behavior increased the size of our test matrix immensely. And when you're testing a driver in such a situation 
just the number of ways that your driver can get all kinds of fucked up because all of the programs assume that your your interface is is has been operating continuously and normally and yet somewhere along the line you had to survive a a complete system shutdown and your hardware comes back up and it has defaults and making sure that your driver will go ahead and load whatever hardware settings were temporarily in there so that it doesn't look like the settings randomly changed on the software and sometimes you forget a bit here or there and anyway testing nightmare yeah it makes it messy and i understand where the veracrypt folks were concerned which is you think you're rebooting the system which would normally wipe that drive off and then the system comes back up and it's like hey here's all your encrypted stuff which to me it, it didn't it wasn't that big of a deal i'm like well if i want it unmounted I unmount it when I'm finished with it. So then when I reboot, no matter what system it is, it's not coming back. You again, you turn it on when you're using it. You turn it off when you're not. It's not that hard of a concept. We do it every time you take a shower. You know, you turn it's, the water it, on. It's so difficult. I mean, that's why we've got apps now. People are, I mean, we're training people not even to bother with lights anymore. I know. And these like, apps turn it, cause what, issues. What is this turn it off? I, it should just turn off on its own when I walk out of the room by, detecting my bluetooth is has moved out of signal and turn off the lights automatically i mean i ha- why else do i have an app for that you know there is some great ideas for all this stuff and they all worry me one way or the other i mean it was it was a little different i think when you were using like a little key fob like hey unlock your computer if you're within five feet of it that kind of made sense when it was just a little rfid key fob i don't like the whole idea of using phones because we know that's interacting in different ways but uh Apps cause problems, being connected cause problems. And uh, from what I've heard from you, there was even a way that all of our experts could pick themselves up a new Tesla on the cheap. Do you want to tell them about that? Oh, I, I would love to. Am I am I allowed to do that segue now? Yes. Then now we can say seg- it was not clear. I needed a, a quick production clarification. I, I, Are you the only one who's allowed to do segues on this show? Well, no, but I just wanted to finish the one segment first. <laughs> Uh sure it was my list of crap which only took like an hour i mean that was great content Uh, (laughs) it was great content. it was in fact content i'll give you that and if you're setting up a new computer and you have any questions be sure to email ryan r-y-a-n at grumpyoldbenz.com so as you may be aware uh as as i'm sure that you drive a tesla all the time oh i mean um, it depends i mean i you know i'm thinking of buying a second one because the first one is so unreliable yeah well look into the model x apparently you can pick them up cheap yeah uh for, for the cost of a, a well this particular one takes a couple hundred dollars in hardware but i'm getting ahead of myself um you know that tesla uses bluetooth on your app for keyless entry well i mean right uh, bluetooth is not, very not just secure app, but but also a key fob right. uh, it, it, it actually uses a key fob as a primary entry um but it also you, you know you you program everything with bluetooth on your app on your phone um but if you are carrying the key fob and you walk near the car, the car will automatically unlock. And then you get in and you don't even have to pull the key fob out of your pocket. If you get in the car, it detects that the key fob is now inside the car and you just hit the start button and it it boots. Very convenient. Yes, it is. Um, and I do like how however, you say the car boots rather than starts. Yeah, kind of. I mean, I. It might have gone into standby or hibernate. I'm not real sure. Um, 
the key fob, uh, like everything in the Tesla, is set up for over-the-air updates, which means that Tesla can push out an update to your car at any time. It can push out updates to your key fob via your car's computer. Uh, it's it's very Silicon Valley. It's very refreshing to know that you can always keep up to date whether you want to or not. Um, the key fob doesn't have any code signing for its firmware updates, which is probably the first real problem. Um, if well, yeah. you can send the right Bluetooth signals to the key fob, um, you can push out new firmware. Wait, wait. So you're um, telling me this thing has the same issue that the Comcast remote we talked about a few shows. Yes. Had. <laughs> nice. So um, the method that Tesla uses to get that unlock code is that the key fob has a secure enclave chip inside of it, uh, which contains some kind of cryptographic key. Um, and then the, so the three inputs to the unlock code, it, it's kind of like your authenticator app where uh, one of the inputs is the current time. So it changes every minute or two. Um, one of the inputs is your key fobs, uh, secure enclave encryption key. And one of the inputs is believe it or not, the VIN number of the car. You know, that one that every car is required to have visible through the windshield. Right. So not super secure, that whole VIN number. Um, and also the time is not all that uh, secure of a thing. So the only real security you get is from the chip inside of the key fob. Um, the key fobs do contain a unique key, uh, but it's also not checked. Um. So what this means, um, if you can spoof a Bluetooth connection uh, at during the time when the key fob is triggered to grab a new firmware. Now, this this, by the way, was the trickiest part, according to the researcher who did this act. The trickiest part was triggering the key fob to search for new firmware. Um, the only ways that they figured out how to do that are. Uh, when the battery is taken out or put back or just put back in, it will scan for new firmware or when the car uh, is trying to trigger you to uh, there's some special trigger that the car sends when the car has an update. Um, the car, the update comes from something called a body control module. So the way that this particular researcher did it was he got a body control module used from a tesla or a repair shop or wherever um he used that body control module he stood near somebody else's key bob you don't even need to be near the tesla for this um you use the body control module to trigger a firmware update on the key fob in somebody's pocket obviously they don't need to know this is happening um that firmware update allows the key fob to now connect with your spoofed bluetooth tesla to send the unique code to your laptop or or whatever your 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 app on your phone so now you have the chip or the the secure code inside of their key fob yeah and their you key fob that has their vin code. number yeah you use that code <laughs> plus a photo of the vin number through the tesla and you can in seconds reprogram your own key fob to send that code to their Tesla 
you have their unlock code, you are in the car. From there, you can now trigger the same update mechanism to cause your fake key fob to start their car and 90 seconds start to finish. You walk up to somebody you know has a Tesla fob in their pocket. You click a button on your app. It does some radio Wi-Fi back in or Bluetooth back and forth. You go to their car, unlock it, drive away 90 seconds. And that's not as hard as you would think, because all you have to do is be following like a any parking lot anywhere and wait, you know, depending how long it takes yeah. for a Tesla to show up. But yeah, you just sit in the parking lot, watch somebody get out of a Tesla. Yeah. And just follow and them in wherever they're going. And for just walk by them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Boom. That's. Yeah. So, um, I, I mean, this is not the first key fob attack that Tesla's had to deal with in the past. Um, they've also had to deal with relay attacks where uh, somebody would set up a, a Bluetooth spoof in order. You know, you 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 have presumably when a Tesla is parked in the driveway, there's a key fob in the house somewhere. And that's far enough away because you need to be within about three meters of the car in order for the Tesla to go. But if you use a Bluetooth spoof to go up to the house, say if you can see it through the living room window and. You then relay that over a Bluetooth transmitter to the car. You can still get into the car, even though the key's in the house. I mean, that, that's been happening. Anyway, um, the one good thing is that with the over-the-air updates happening all the damn time, there will be a fix very, very, very soon. But Until I, then. I, don't, I don't fault Tesla for having bugs, per se. But it is very much the same Silicon Valley mindset that I've always talked about where you the the way that developers work these days is we always want the brand new whiz bang features and then, oh, we can tack on security later. Right. And it, it just. They're not looking at security from the ground up. Yeah. Security is not built in from the ground up to most things in if something comes out with whiz bang new features, then if if before you buy one of these things, you need to think about, uh, okay, well, given that these are Silicon Valley people, they probably didn't build security in. So what should I do? Um, You know, for example, uh, recommended in the article was the absolute number one way to prevent or the the your tesla from being stolen out of your driveway park in a garage <laughs> wow i wouldn't have thought of that well it's uh, you know it's tried and true security the tesla has only had what nine years of trying to figure out how all of this stuff works and how to get things working and uh computer security is really hard and physical security for cars has been around for many many more decades than that yeah, progress says keep the key fob in a Faraday cage. There you go. Yeah, maybe something like that. Uh, but you get a Faraday pocket or something. It's just very expensive tech that could be removed from an area very quickly because you know it goes really fast. That uh, I just don't know if Tesla owners would be that happy if their cars keep getting stolen. I would think that would be a costly endeavor. You know, the cars are like, like I said, the the danger is actually pretty low because Tesla is, I I mean, it's one of the only places where they, their model is even more invasive than windows update. They don't give you three days to click away a dialogue. If they've decided there's an update, your car is taking a fucking update. 
you are traveling uh, at 90 miles an hour down. Yeah. I don't, I don't think it quite does that. I think it waits for you to stop. That would be polite. <laughs> yeah, that would be polite. Otherwise uh, you get some white. But I mean, there've definitely been stories where uh, an, an update, like a mistake in an update, you know, the uh, windows is really good about fucking up their updates and breaking everyone's systems. And there have been a few stories once in a while, not nearly as often as, as you think, but where an update bricked somebody's Tesla car and they had to take it into the dealership. Not, common which is good because people people will definitely get a lot more hostile about their car being suddenly unavailable because of an update than they will about their computer yeah i mean especially if the update happened while you're you know uh at a ball game i mean i know now covid nobody can go anywhere but in normal life if your car's sitting there out in the football parking lot you know at the stadium and you come out and it's like nope it's a little inconvenient yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, in this current one, it would be a little inconvenient if you you had no idea that the dude you walked by in the, you know, in the ballpark. Well, if if you're in a ballpark and you parked your Tesla outside, all somebody has to do is walk through the stands and, you know, with the right software on their phone they now have the unlock codes for 17 teslas right i was gonna say <laughs> and they just go out go out into the parking lot and try them out and the, the, the hey look you know they're all gone now fortunately that can never happen in 2020 because we're not allowed to go to sporting events you're right so it's a lot but, safer which obviously makes everything safer uh but anyways like i said i don't i, I can't blame tesla for a security hole this is pretty much I mean, they are, in fact, way, way better about these sort of things than most Silicon Valley companies. But that is a low, low bar. And the important thing that you need to know about a car like a Tesla is that you can think of it as a car. But in terms of computer security, what you really, really need to do is think of it as a smartphone with a really big battery and an electric motor. Yeah, and you have to understand that all of these different moving parts, all these pieces that are involved, you know, that little key fob, everything that you add is adding the possibility of more exploits and for more things to go wrong and for everything to work well together. You know, if it was just, I mean, I remember when the keys came out, uh, GM, where they had like the little computer chip in the key itself. So that way somebody couldn't just take your key now and yeah. make a Even copy. I have one of those. Yeah. And it's like, that was like high tech at the time, but at least then, you know, the key had to be put into the ignition. I mean, I know when did we become such a lazy society that it's like, you know what? We need to keep these damn keys in our pocket. We can't put them into yeah. a, it's a slot. Yeah, that that's, that's one of those innovations that they, where, where convenience starts to Trump, you know, convenience always trumps security because nobody, it, it, it people want convenience. We, that was one of the very first topics we ever had on Grumpy Old Ben's was yeah. convenience. Um, people always like convenience, but tr when convenience starts trumping common sense is when you get things like, oh, it's so convenient that your lights come on automatically when you walk into the room. And I'm like, yeah, mine do, too, because out of reflex, I push a button on the wall <laughs> and it just works and it just works. Same with you're sitting in your car. Um, I, I have to physically push a button that says start. Right. On so, the Tesla. So, so putting the key so in. Making my car work because it has wirelessly connected to the key fob in my pocket and I can just push a start button or I can have the keys that were in my pocket anyway. So they're not exactly far away. They're not hard to get to. I pull it out of my pocket. I put the key in and I rotate it. 
That is exactly the same amount of effort. How dare you want Tesla owners to put their hand in their dirty pockets? Well, I, I, maybe they've all not been washing their hands and, and been playing in the Rona. I don't know, but I don't know. I just there, there, there are a number of convenience features, but the ones that I always ridicule are the ones where you're like, the amount of convenience added is minuscule and you've just created entirely new vectors for yourself to be hacked. Yes. And we've been uh, fact checked immediately. DigiGuru says it was a resistor in those GM keys, not a computer chip. So now we've been we've been. Schooled. Yes, I have one of those, too. Yeah, we've got a few of those. But this, I'm, I'm, I'm going to assume it was you that was fact checked because I always knew it was a resistor. Sure, you did. Yeah. But when uh-huh. I said a computer chip, you were like, yeah, that's what I have. And then no, now. Uh, now yeah, we, we I, just, I was. That's called giving you enough rope to hang yourself with. We, we should just stop doing the show. Fact man. Check yourself. We, we have no yeah, idea. Why the hell? Or why do we even do this show? We have no idea what we're talking about. <laughs> They're starting to catch. I on. know why we do this show. We we do this show because we have experts like Fletcher. Exactly. Who, who, and. And experts like uh, DigiGuru who can fact check us and and Jay please, Finley please. and yeah. uh, you know Harry Hamster, NetNed, the whole the whole bunch. We like being fact checked. It's a lot of fun. Uh, now we've talked a little bit about TechCrunch and their uh, leftist tendencies. Um, I thought this was oh, funny. Boy. Yeah, I know because like this article this morning. I just had to grab this one because it was a whole article kind of it was in this week in apps and it was like Apple slashes commissions, which oh we've talked about this. Now, if you're making like under a million bucks a year, Apple is taking their 30 percent and bringing it down to 15 percent, which is good. And that's fine. And uh, I mean, all, lots of people are pushing for that. Yeah. Which also says to me that uh, there's trouble coming for Apple because usually they don't, uh, you know, they don't give into this kind of thing. So either that otherwise you're like well are they just being nice to the smaller developers you know or maybe they're seeing smaller developers are like well screw you i'll just go to make stuff for android and i think that maybe happens in a lot of them uh but so that was an interesting story to look at but the next story was twitter launches fleets which as we've talked about this is just like disappearing stuff twitter's trying to become every other fleets and so instead of tweets they're fleets which are messages that disappear after a set amount of time so just like tweets yeah but they disappear after a certain amount of time uh, just like conservative tweets should right yes now everybody can feel like a conservative because your tweets will disappear after a certain amount of time you could probably get fact checked too but uh the last part yes. of this week in apps was warnings about parlor so i'm like oh i'm interested what are the warnings <laughs> yeah about- if you go here you're going to encounter people who have been banned from twitter <laughs> kind of Yes, because here's the section TechCrunch. Parlor's funders revealed dot, dot, dot. It's the Mercers. Okay, okay. Then I want the same article. Tell me who is funding TechCrunch. That's got to be good for a laugh. (laughs) Yes. And uh, tell me who's funding TikTok. Tell me who's funding all these all these different uh, platforms. And it's like parents warned about the apps. Now it says the and then in quotes free speech app so yeah they can't even they can't now, why is free speech in quotes i'm not really sure uh but they, because they don't actually know what the term means <laughs> yes they're like can somebody please let us know what this means the free speech app parlor rising in the charts after facebook and twitter increased fact checks turns out to be funded by prominent conservative donor and trump supporter rebecca mercer 
the Wall Street Journal revealed. Oh, was this ever a secret? I'm not really sure. Uh, if the, I, the, I, if this was, I only have two questions, and the first one is, why the fuck is this even a story? That's Well, I can tell you why it's a story for TechCrunch, because they hate conservatives. And there's uh, it's becoming more and more obvious with everything that you read here. They go on to say that this uh, Rebecca Mercer is the daughter of Robert Mercer, principal investor in Cambridge Analytica with the big data leak uh, in Facebook history and all this. And then uh, all, the Mercers have also backed. So now it's not bad enough that this is just the guy's daughter. But now the family has also backed these really scary places like Breitbart News. I mean, ooh, uh, they back the Heritage Foundation think tank, ooh, the Federalist Society and a super PAC. I mean, th- this story is is not significantly different in kind from the, you know, the the comment that AOC is making about the, the Trump accountability project or whatever. The, the, yeah, this is ooh, taking. You know, for somebody who is is has that their head that far to the left side of their asshole, um, any, you know, just the words conservative or alt right or Republican are they're they're scary. They're boogeymen and trying to make a list of all oh, these people are horrible and need to be. Uh, I, well, yeah, it, it's it stinks of the the. You know, once we're in power, we're going to go hunt down all of those horrible Republican people because you know, you, you you can't possibly take a live and let live. You actually the the existence of people who don't follow their ideology is a problem. Yes, it's they're, problematic. They're a hateful bunch. And it's like the article continues this week. The nonprofit parents together. And I it's interesting there, too. It's like, ooh, the nonprofit like that gives it some kind of elevated status that. Ooh, a nonprofit. I look this up. There's like 11 people involved with this nonprofit. Another big, uh, a big lefty. And I can no, no, nonprofit isn't bad on its own. I mean, Grumpy Old Ben's is a nonprofit, although not intentional. Not. I was going to say we are certainly not. Um, but I can, I'll read what you, what the, those parents together said and uh, what they said about the Black Lives Matter. So if you want to know who was issuing this warning, we we can do that. But I think everybody's well aware of of what they are already, but they issued a warning to parents about parlor, this parents together group. Oh my God. They said that the apps weak moderation policies, also known as freedom of speech. Yes. The, the weak moderation policies also known as they follow the first amendment. Yes. So that's their weak moderation policies and their extremist user base puts kids at risk of exploitation, abuse and recruitment. For racist violence. I mean, whoa. As opposed to being on Facebook, <laughs> and which, which puts Twitter. them at risk for exploitation, abuse, and recruitment into the leftist ideology. I yeah. mean, come on. Or Twitter or TikTok or all the others yeah. that do exactly that. The I mean, hello, what what is what is advertising if not exploiting your users? The organization described parlor. As hosting dangerous content, including hate speech, incitements of violence. I have to go back to my first question. And widespread disinformation because TechCrunch is a bunch of leftist douchebags that are throwing okay. this into their app roundup for the week. <laughs> OK, then then I guess my second question is, why do you think that? The, why do you think this is a story? Why do I have to listen to it right now? I don't read TechCrunch because you're on a podcast. Isn't that the answer for everything? I also thought it was interesting that the Apple App Store rates Parler at 17 plus, 
but Google Play is bad. They say it's suitable for kids 13 and up. I want to know. Does the Apple App Store, and I know the answer to this. Google Play is unsuitable for kids. <laughs> the Apple App Store, though. Rating Parlor, 17 plus. Do they rate uh, Facebook, Twitter, any of these other 17 plus? No. So why, why Parlor is rated for 17 plus? It's like there is a vast amount of pornography on Twitter, Facebook, all these sites that and are. Thank God for that. Yeah. But it's like there's certainly none of them are suitable for children. You know, to point out Parler, which is the most conservative, probably user base out of all of these. And uh, but they go. I just want to read you the statement from uh, the uh, this parents together group about Parler. Quote, all parents of children under the age of 18. Now, right here, I'm thinking you could have just said parents of children because once they're over no, the that, age of 18, that doesn't no, that children? doesn't count. <laughs> that doesn't take into account all of the children who are age 35 yes. and living in their parents' basement. That's kind of what, yeah. So all parents of children under the age of 18. Well, once they're over the age of 18, they're no longer children. But uh, tell that to Antifa. Yeah, I know. They want all parents, though, of these children to immediately check their kids' phones and tablets to ensure their children have not installed Parler. The group warned parents in a statement, quote, if your child has installed Parler, we strongly recommend that you delete their account and the app. I have a better option. Yeah. All parents of children 18 and below, please check that your kid doesn't have a fucking cell phone or smartphone in their pocket because those things destroy minds. Yeah. And the don't, wind. don't give, I mean, there is ample evidence that not just parlor, that all social media is destroying the mind developing minds of children and adults too but frankly they're making their own decisions it uh, social media is mental poison and running parlor is probably less awful for you than running facebook or twitter and tiktok just take the fucking phone away i that's why i went to look that was my first question because we know the kind of crap that's going on on tiktok we've covered it here quite a bit and i've covered it on random thoughts R-A-N-D-U-M-B thoughts.com online. And I figured I'd go see, well, what are they saying about other social media? So I went and looked. The only thing I could find about TikTok was, oh, TikTok is helping kids learn history. And look, they're doing these little videos and they're great. And people can tell them if they got something wrong. And I'm just thinking somebody's making a video like George Washington was a great president. And they're like, no, he was a racist slave owner. And they like that. The parents together group, they like TikTok. But parlor is too dangerous for their children. I mean, there there is actually something to be said about a, a lit, not not necessarily a tech crunch story, because you have to read it in that shrill vocal fry voice. But there is something to be said about the the smaller alternate platforms tend to have more radical people. And the main reason for that is that you are populating it with the kind of people who are banned from other platforms and you don't normally get banned from Twitter for having a, you know, no opinion of your own and just retweeting whatever celebrity of the moment says and, and going with the flow. No, you get banned from Twitter for actual thought and, and making up your own mind and saying things that don't follow the hive mind. And when you do, then the place you have to go is an alternate platform like Parler. 
And yes, if you start before the network effect has taken effect, if you start by just populating with those people, then yes, the aggregate uh, user base is going to be much more opinionated, crazy, radical. Um, personally, I really prefer that sort of thing because I don't want to listen to the hive mind. I'd rather listen to people with their own opinions. It's one of the reasons I like no agenda social so much. Those conservatives but, yeah. are so dangerous. It, it's not just because they're conservative, although that might be the reason why TechCrunch is losing their minds over it. But yes, it is more radical because the people who are too radical, also known as as making you know making their own minds up for Twitter, are what's populating it. You know, at some point when the platform gets bigger, the network effect takes effect, and then all of the sheep come over, and then you kind of have a regular mix, and the the aggregate amount goes back to normal mainstream but saying a platform is radical well of course it is when it supports freedom of speech because that's what freedom of speech is it's not this whitewashed hive-minded bullshit that you're enforcing with your censorship now when you go to the parents together website of course front and center there's a statement on black lives matter because that's very important to everybody right now and the statement, yes, I just want to, it, 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 it's kind of like one of those warning stickers that says, do not buy this product. Yeah. I want, I just want to know what you think of their statement. You can stop me at any time. I know you'll probably try to stop me before I say two words, but the first sentence is, okay, stop. White supremacy destroys our children. <laughs> the next sentence, it eats children. It eats alive children of color. That's the sentence. White supremacy destroys our children. It eats alive children of color. It poisons white children with its toxic impact on every layer of society. It pits low income communities of all races and ethnicities against each other, protecting a system that puts profits and property ahead of life, dignity, equality and justice. As many black leaders have said in recent days, racism is a pandemic that has crippled our country ever since its founding. So, uh. This is, you know, I want to hear that again, but instead of white supremacy, just put critical race theory in instead. (laughs) And I I think it actually tracks a lot better. It may. It may. Because then they go on to say that race theory is poisoning minds, turning people into racists. Yes. Yes. And uh, they they go here, you know, the recent murders of George Floyd, who we we know there's now that there's more evidence that it seems like was a drug overdose. Wasn't that a suicide? Yeah. It seems like it was a drug overdose. Brianna Taylor who just happened to be next to somebody that was shooting at the cops, Ahmad Arbery, yeah, who and, we saw and also, the video. And yeah. also dealing drugs and, and yeah. Yeah. Ahmad Arbery, who was the one that tried to grab a gun out of somebody's hand and yeah, all tragic situations, but none are cut and dry what they're being played off as. I mean, this comes down to anything. There's two sides well, to every if, story, but we don't want to hear the other side. Gonna, as long as you're going to read names, what about the 50 people who were killed in Chicago this weekend? How come TechCrunch isn't freaking out about them? I don't know. That's okay, I guess. I don't, I don't they, understand. I mean, they're just cool. I mean, maybe because they weren't dealing drugs or, or high on PCP and, and attacking cops. Is that why we don't care about their deaths? Yes. And uh, I'll just read this last sentence. And we condemn the violence being perpetrated on these protesters through the actions and words of the police, the armed forces, and the president. So we see who the enemy is in the world of these fucking people at parentstogether.org. Uh, there's a dash in the name if you really want to go see this drivel. But yeah, it is the police, the armed forces, and the president. That's where all the evil in the world's coming from. And Parlor is a horrible place. 
Go fuck you, you leftist douchebags. I'm tired of this stuff already. Okay, you know what? I'm going to I'm going to steal yet another idea from No Agenda and just uh we're we're going to put a ban no more TechCrunch. <laughs> TechCrunch is That's, dead. I, I can't handle this retardation. It is getting bad. And they were once, if I remember correctly, a pretty good tech site. But no more. No more. TechCrunch has been uh, put to bed. If we had uh, taps, we would play it here. So I have one other story. Um, did you know that Facebook is tracking you? No. Now? Uh, I, uh, probably. I don't, is there a camera in here? What should I? Is there, uh, oh, my God. Yes. Oh, oh, shit. You know what? There's a microphone. You there is. I mean, you put you put a little electronic puck AI enabled puck in your place that's listening to you all the time. I you shouldn't be surprised at all. But they're balls uh, now. But <laughs> I mean, that's so, it. That was the big change. Didn't you see that? The uh, Amazon devices instead of being pucks, now they're shaped like spheres. So they're much. Oh, so much what nicer. you're saying is is that Bezos grew a pair. He did. And he has a lot more than a pair. <laughs> I, for some reason, uh, one of the big differences, I guess, for the design change was they're down to like just four microphones in the thing. So the micro their their microphone technology keeps getting better. Uh, I I suppose so. I mean, I what worries me more is the the AI machine learning and data storage technology that is now uh storing everything you've ever said and handing it to law enforcement with a full transcript. I mean Good morning, Ryan. You have been alerted to the FBI. So um a couple days ago, there was uh, uh, yet another case where uh, Zuck got called into Congress, which is becoming a pretty common thing. And yeah, and it's stupid, uh, isn't it? Representative Josh Hawley from Missouri was grilling him about something uh, that he called Centra. I don't know if you're familiar with this. I am not. Neither was Zuckerberg. <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> Is that a problem um, for Mark? I, I mean, well, believe it or not, I I, I actually believe him. Um, I, I don't know that he, he is not the one who's going in and and pulling all the levers and cackling madly going, hey, hey we found another conservative. Shut him off. Um, <laughs> I, I, I he has people for that. There are no shortage of of TDS sufferers working at Facebook trying to figure out the best way to enforce their ideology on people. And I don't think Zuckerberg needs to be intimately familiar with every single tool that's developed for that. I don't, you know, he's the CEO, right? Uh, he's spending way too much time answering retarded questions from congressmen. Well, that's it. I mean, that's what I don't get. It's nothing but a dog and pony show. We've seen a few of these even since COVID began. It seems like there's been like three or more of these where, Oh, let's bring in Zuckerberg. Let's bring in, uh, you know, Pi. Let's bring in, uh, you know, Dorsey. And let's ask them all the same stupid questions. And they never get honest answers. So what do they think they're going to no, find in, out? In fact, with with as many times as these CEOs are being called in front of Congress, it's practically a job requirement for them to not know what the fuck is going on in their yes. companies, yeah. because then they can answer honestly when the Congress people ask retarded questions like, are you familiar with a tool called Centra? You well, said no. <laughs> I, I went in and I, I wanted to know about this tool. And uh, here's what we know in public about the tool. Not a hell of a lot. Um, okay, it, it thanks. Came up, it came up in a leak and uh, Representative Josh Hawley decided to latch on to it. Um, but 
what we do know about Facebook is that um, the, here are uh, some some of the ways that they can track and try to manipulate you um, using your Facebook login. Uh, uh, okay, duh. Well, logging into Facebook. That's the first one on the web, on the app, wherever. Well, yeah. Um, and let's just it, say for a lot of people who don't understand how all these things work, especially with different like third party cookies and that, if you are logged into Facebook in your browser and you don't have to have Facebook open in a tab or anything else and you open up another page, yeah. it can tell that you're it, Yeah, on It Facebook. just needs to be. So, so, um, you know, obviously going to Facebook.com, they're tracking everything you do there. Dot. Um, running the Facebook app. They're tracking everything you do in that app. Um, using a browser where you have the Facebook cookie logged in. So if, if you have a browser that you have ever logged into Facebook and told it, remember me, and then you use that browser on any other web page on the internet, Facebook knows that you went to that web page. Facebook knows exactly who you were, what you clicked on, what you did on that web page. Yeah, they're doing that. Yeah, they got um, your ID. If if you have the Facebook app on your phone and you're logged in, then it's safe to assume that everything you do on that phone is tracked by Facebook because they have the, they have the API, they have the, you know, the, the operating system hooks. Um, you don't even have to have a Facebook app on your phone. Uh, although, you know, if you're using a Samsung phone, for example, you do have to have it, um, because they don't let you uninstall it, but whatever. Um, but it doesn't even have to be the Facebook app. Um, if you have any app using the Facebook API, we've talked about that before. The Facebook API is uh, any app that has the capability of using a Facebook login. Even if you don't log in, um, you know, if you I mean, if you do log in using your Facebook credentials to anything, you can assume that everything that happens there is sent to Facebook. Um, it, but if you install an app. TikTok or uh, whatever, and that app has the ability to log in via Facebook. That means they're using the Facebook API. That means that every time you launch the app, every time you click on things in the app, that data is sent to Facebook, whether you have an account or not. Um, and that is what brings us to Centra, which, by the way, appears to be as far as the best rumor mill goes, uh, a tool that Facebook uses to tie uh, internet activity to people independent of a Facebook account. Nice. So it, it seems to be a tool used for adding data to your Facebook shadow profile, which whether or not you use Facebook, whether or not you're using it right now, you have a Facebook shadow profile. I have never had a Facebook account, but I have a Facebook shadow profile. They may or may not have my name attached to it, but Facebook tracks enough things about what I do online that they are, they, they have a profile. Um, you know, you, there are things you can do like randomizing your, your ID and making sure to browse in private and things that, that confound it or fill it with bad data, but they're building profiles on everything that they find online. Um, you know, if you are friends with somebody who uses Facebook's uh, on their oh, phone, why would you be? Well, it's a good question, but for some reason that seems to happen. Um, I can just picture phone. you like meeting somebody for the first time being like, hey, how you doing? Oh, yeah, we're really getting along great. I, you know, I love your ideas on things. Do you use Facebook? And they're like, yes. And you just walk away and never say another I might. word. I, I might. I, you know, I've shamed people for less. The, 
if if one of your friends has your contact info in their phone and they launch the Facebook app, guess what? Facebook now has your contact info. Oh no. <laughs> um if you yeah if you've ever you know if you have a device you've ever logged into facebook uh, everything that happens and then here's a new one that that i didn't even know about but this was apparently figured out sometime year and a half ago um if you post an image that you got from facebook anywhere facebook will web crawl other websites and pull the iptc or exif data from the images in order to find their custom watermarks, which Damn. includes data, they they are putting custom data into the IPTC of the of every image you see on Facebook, which tells who uploaded it, the Facebook ID, the you know the date, etc. So that if an image appears on some other website, they can web crawl that site and know which user it came from. So that you can, you know, if, if, for example, a bunch of images that you had in your account get posted to a conservative site like Parler, they can put the little checkbox in your account said this person is likely a conservative. <laughs> nice. Nice. Yeah, there's uh, there are ways to sanitize images. Blitz has talked about that in the troll room. And this goes back to warning parents again. I mean, because if you're an adult doing stupid stuff, you deserve what you get. But if your kids are on one of these social media sites who don't strip out the extra information that is stored in images, including the GPS address in the case of some of these sites, then, uh, you know, be aware, be aware that your kids posting photos could lead people back to your house. And I did I did run across a, a small snippet of information, and I would be amiss in not bringing this up, despite the fact that I hate almost everything about this company. This is something they're they're doing right. Uh, when you upload an image to Twitter, they strip all the IPTC and EXIF data. I believe uh, Instagram does too, which is weird because they're part of uh, yeah. And then adds a Facebook <laughs> metadata. I'm yeah, sure, probably yes. Now that they're part of Facebook, so I I appreciate every once in a while when a site's like, nope, we're just taking the pixels. We're going to strip all that extra, you know the. I, I I checked out. I went and, and looked at the IPTC standard, which is is kind of it's a sort of competing standard to EXIF, but most images tend to have an IPTC and an EXIF metadata on it at the same time. Um, but the IPTC is extensible, and Facebook actually has their custom extension to it, which means that most image editors won't even list this data or will say there's an extra IPTC blob of data on there. Most of them will not dump the actual information because it's it's a custom facebook created one um it actually uh, uh, the iptc site says by the way when when explaining why they have this to say photo metadata is the key to protecting images copyright and licensing information online you know if it Uh was only used for that i'd probably be okay with it well this is where the scary stuff's coming in when programs like photoshop and these other editors (laughs) are trying to embed stuff in the images you know, I don't I'm not comfortable when you're sharing stuff online and stuff with all this. Like, it, it's kind of like the concept that every printer has a unique ID that people can uh, read off every printed page. The whole we can verify who you are and track you down with everything you do is getting worrisome as more and more things are piled on to the list. And people should be concerned about it. There was just a story too. Amazon just applied for a patent. 
because, you know, obviously there's so many people pirating and, you know, posting the stuff that is on Amazon Prime. And I, I may have downloaded some of that, um, but they're working on a patent where the every video that you download will have something with a identifying ID mark somewhere in the video itself. I guess you can do it in the pixels of what it's sending down. Steganography. Yeah. And people, you know, the naked eye won't see it. But that way, if something gets pirated and posted to a pirated site, you'll see which account that came from. And I don't really understand how that's going to stop any piracy. It's just going to make the hacking of Amazon accounts a thing. <laughs> yeah. Because that's, I mean, that's yeah. it. When creating steganography like that in is is actually it does work because um, what they can do is they can figure out who's leaking it. And ban that person's account, and that that it's a ch- chilling effect. Uh, I, I have a, a story, a Microsoft story, because you know we all love those. Uh, one of my favorite examples of steganography: um, the Xbox 360 was getting its first major UI revamp, and they they were completely overhauling the software and pushing it out to all of these. This would be 10, 12 years ago, and um, <clears throat> one of the 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 entire new ui um it, it was rewritten from the ground up it had all kinds of animations going on it had fading it had themes it had arrow glass because that was in at the time um it, you know all of the transparency effects um one of the things going on in the background of the screen uh, of the the front page of it uh and by the way, when they sent this out, they sent it out. Uh, all the beta versions were intended for don't show this to anybody because they had a whole press event intended to, you know, have a big reveal. And of course, that didn't work because it leaks like a sieve in that company. Right. Um, but they had to send it out the new UI to beta testers. Well, in the background, there was one place where there was an Xbox logo and there were lines coming off of the xbox logo that looked like ripples in a pond and so the whole background was was just kind of rippling as just it just felt like hey the logo is vibrating and causing these ripples to go out well it turns out that the distance between the ripples were set up to be a uh, a upc barcode which would give the unique id of whatever beta tester had downloaded that particular uh, system. Nice. So if a video came out showing the new UI that they wanted to keep under wraps, all they had to do was look at the pattern of the ripples in the background. And they had the idea of exactly who released it. That is genius. I, I thought that was clever as hell. And this is the kind of stuff that you're going to now because we're so worried about piracy. And uh, yeah, I don't know. It's a it's a whack-a-mole game. They've been worried about piracy f- since the uh, PC was launched, and they really have never made a whole lot of uh, strides towards stopping it, no matter what they've tried. And the more you start getting into this, I mean, I guess are we all just to thank them because we don't have these massive DRM systems anymore for like audio and stuff. But, you know, I don't know. This seems like kind of a wait. we do you know. They're not as prevalent, or maybe I just ignore them all because it's so easy to pirate things. And and Dewadnam 
points out in the troll room uh yet yet another place uh th- this one is near and dear to my heart because i ranted about it on no agenda social enough times is whenever you click a link somewhere or you grab a link and copy it somewhere and the link has that extra fbc id or whatever in it um that is that is tracking information so that facebook knows that when a link was copied out of here and put over here they know exactly whose user account it was copied from and when and where it came from and they can correlate that so they know hey this was a popular story because this user shared this over here and that means this user was interested in this and call it over here and uh the reason i mention it is because uh in the vast majority of cases, you need to just strip that tracking garbage off of your URLs before pasting them. I'm talking to everybody on No Agenda Social who puts in a URL that has 40 characters of domain and URL and 120 more characters of extra tracking garbage that is just making your link look cancerous. Strip that shit off. You don't need it. You're better off. Don't share on an open site all this Facebook tracking crap. But Facebook wants to track you. Yeah, that's why I'm having a problem with it. They're friendly. I don't have a Facebook account for a reason. Okay, somebody create a Facebook account for Ryan. He doesn't I'm know I'm certain how. that's already happened. <laughs> Nobody's <laughs> given me the credentials to it, though. Well, um, see, that's, that's a good part. I, um, I, I, I will point out that the, uh, you know, another, another use of the putting the metadata into an image uh, that might Theory, I mean, if you want to be charitable, they might also just be using the metadata for deduplicating so that they don't have to use up as much dry storage space. I'm not sure that's true. And there's plenty of use, ways to analyze the pixels to deduplicate an image. Yes. So not yeah. sure that's what's. Check some. Anyway. Yeah. Create the checksum. It's easy enough to do a search. But yeah. uh, hey, programmers so, can't be lazy. I've heard. Yes. So I have I have uh, an. A summary of this behavior that I found from a Reddit user, and I particularly liked this summary, so I'm going to read it. You download a meme from some account or page which is known to spread propaganda, hate speech, etc. Now you think, hey, let me just share this on WhatsApp on my family groups because why not? Now Facebook can easily tag you as a user who believes that propaganda and can sell that data to political parties or companies to target ads or more propaganda on you. So don't share memes is, I guess, what they're saying, because it will mark you as a radical. Isn't everybody radical in today's low bar no, of being radical? No, no, there's two categories, radicals and sheep. <laughs> ah, yes. And most are leftist sheep. The radicals are the ones that dare say, no, I will stand up for my country. I will stand up for my beliefs and I won't take any more of this crap. And uh we're getting to a breaking point. It's going to be fun yep. to watch. Oh, and the Solomon Islands have officially voted to ban Facebook entirely from their from their country. So when are you moving to the Solomon Islands and where exactly are the Solomon Islands? Uh, the Solomon Islands are in the Pacific Ocean, um, probably 800 miles northeast of Australia. Sounds like not a bad place to be then. Yeah, I, I mean, once I can find a boat, because I'm not sure as hell not getting on a plane. <laughs> I know. Air travel is horrible so we need okay we need more people to come in support grumpy old ben's so we can have a seaworthy grumpy old ben's yacht that we can broadcast from as we circumvent the globe 
circumvent yes <laughs> i think uh, i think you meant circumnavigate but i like circumvent the globe <laughs> i think we should do both actually is that, when it is comes- that just a way of saying i don't want to live on this planet anymore i think so let's we're trying to circumvent a lot of things by uh getting onto that boat so uh you know we can ask uh john mcafee for, for i was gonna say for some tips but but they caught that poor bastard so. yeah well i uh, i i think his tips are probably still solid because he <laughs> He was out there for a long time. Yes, he was. Yes, he was. And then Spain. I mean, come on, Spain. What are you doing? Play along. Uh, uh, the word lapdog comes to mind. but Yeah, probably. But if you want to help support our delusions of a grand, grumpy old Ben's future, where we live on a yacht and broadcast nonstop propaganda, I mean, content to you through uh, probably satellites and all that kind of stuff, go to grumpyoldbens.com. Or grumpyoldbens.com slash donate. Either one will get you to a page where you can find all the information about how to support the show, including a big donate button, which it's not red. I know that's wrong. We should make that red where you can donate via PayPal, either one time or monthly. Choose any amount you'd like. We do work on the value for value model. So you decide for yourself. How much value do you get out of these shows today? Ryan ill with food poisoning, which his wife may have poisoned. We're not really sure, but he's here doing the show show your support by uh well, I was gonna say chipping in but you know showing some value back and you can do that with paypal you can do that with the qr we want code more than a chip we want the whole cookie we want the well, i want the whole uh pringles can really um qr code for bitcoin and you can also do the snail mail p.o box address yeah. if you want to go and, that and route a, a podcast index lightning node coming soon maybe yeah, well, we've done a lot of research on that. It's we're be we're researching it. Yes. Yeah, so, and it's, I mean, it just shows you the amount of steps that it takes. And of course, there are services providing this for 10 bucks a month, which probably makes sense if you're, uh, if you're bringing in enough where this whole new podcast index 2.0 stuff, the new uh, headers and the stuff that Adam Curry's bringing into the namespace for people being able to donate directly through their podcast apps this is coming in the near future it will be a nice way to collect funds if people want to go that route i don't know if people want to go the minute by minute route i mean i know there are going to be different solutions for this where you could say hey i you could just press a button and say send five bucks ten bucks a hundred bucks but uh it's going to be interesting to watch that's certainly going to be an option as well adam seems to be staking his reputation on if if you build it, they will come. If you build the apps, if you make the player app, make it really, really easy to click and send you a couple hundreds of a cent for because you really like this. You know, uh, Adam Curry and Dave Jones are staking their reputation on this will catch on. And they've never steered me wrong. I, I feel like we need to give it a shot because it I, I, if, if it works, it'll be extremely cool. Yeah, once uh, once and, Blueberry and, and really w- once you're hooked up and it's just a part of your app, who isn't going to say, "Hey, that made me laugh. I'll send a dime." I it mean, could who be won't? cool. You know, or could- hey, hey, that that part about Facebook sounded really really ranty. I'm going to go ahead and send $100. I'm I mean, sending you, a whole Bitcoin. If there's a, if there's a button in the app that lets you do that, and they are going to be, yeah, they are moving. Uh, this is just the first test is with the lightning. No, they are planning on adding other funding sources. So that'll be interesting to watch uh, when Blueberry, who is the company that does the RSS feed, you know, the uh, plugin for WordPress that a lot of people use 
once they add the transcriptions into there, we're going to get that up and running as well. Because I think the transcriptions more than anything right now will be more helpful for people to find the show. But hey, if you have any ideas, reach out to us, Darren or Ryan, D-A-R-R-E-N. I'm not sure I want evidence of everything that I say on this show to be in writing, though. See, that would be why we need it. People can then <laughs> search for it. You know, Darren no, or Ryan then, at GrumpyOlBeds.com. Yeah, suddenly people are going to start writing AIs to fact check me. Yeah. Or the, I don't know uh, if my fragile ego can handle that. Or that's when the three-letter agencies show up at your door. I'm not sure. Whatever. I mean, we will be back, though, with another Grumpy Old Bench to talk about all this and more after thanksgiving happens i mean you do anything black friday matters yes we are uh we are going to be here on black friday so i mean if you want to show your support there's a, this is a great time to do it get some extra value by getting in on black friday and you feel like you're helping the minorities yeah the i told you there yep. was a there was an ad i got from uh victoria's secret the other day on for a black friday special and every model in the ad was a woman of color and i'm like that just yeah. seemed it just seemed I, uh, like maybe they are they i mean and i said you know okay one you know, this, could, even, this could just I'll be coincidental it's on black friday you know i mean the fact of the matter is are there some millennials that maybe don't know where the name black friday came from and they think it's like because of race i mean I, you know you would normally think no that nobody could be that stupid but we are living oh, in a whole oh, new no, world no i i think people <laughs> People on the internet are constantly reminding us just how stupid people can be. This is true. Uh, and and Black Friday will also be the first official day that it's legal to play Christmas music. Woo! So you want me to play all Christmas music on a Black Friday? That's a big negative. <laughs> Until next time. I am Darren O'Neill, coming to you live from a bunker deep in the heart of Middle America, just outside of Chirac, where even when Ryan has to spend half the show in the can, we'll go two hours. And from America's left coast, where we trust the mystery meat, even though we know we shouldn't. I'm Ryan Bemrose. Never trust the mystery meat. <laughs>